Welcome back, everybody. Part two. Yep. Boys on the track. That's right. I'm excited uh, for Scott to continue telling the story, but it is a lot to take in. It is. A, is there's a, is a lot a, of information. Whoop. The most in the most uh, comprehensive thing I think that we've tackled since and, we started and it's this. It's just one rabbit hole after the other, and <sighs> I know you're going to do a great job today, Scott. I can't wait. Every rabbit hole has rabbit holes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my name's Kelly Turner. And I'm not a doctor. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. Katie Evans, and I'm not a lawyer. And here we are. We're, we're ready to listen. But before we get yeah. to the story and just jump in the deep end, do we have any shout outs? Yes. Okay. All right. So yesterday, I bumped into uh, Caitlin Jolly Gossett. Oh, we know her very well. Yes. She is right now this afternoon at her own uh, gender reveal party. Congratulations. I told her to let us know. Yeah. I told her to let us know. Uh, when she knows, she doesn't know. She told me yeah. yesterday, she was explaining that she gave the envelope to a friend and the friend is setting up the thing. So it will be a reveal that she won't know mm-hmm. uh, or her husband, Blake, until the event happens later this afternoon. But I told her to let us know and we would uh, give her a third shout out. And, you know, she was on the show back in October of 21 when we did Bad Case of Loving You Part yes. One about the Barbara Roberts thing, along with her dad, Bo, who was in the sheriff's department yes yes so she is a veteran of the show that's one of my top you know yeah that's a great show if you've never heard it go back and listen to that one yeah um i could not be the friend that did the gender reveal thing i turn into this weirdo when it comes to surprise things surprise parties like you can't hold it in oh my gosh Uh, i get so nervous i can't even stand it anymore (laughs) that's hilarious i mean it's bad all right note to self if i ever find myself in that situation i get tore up but i have no plans of ever ending up in that situation but also um i just want to let the uh parents the 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 expecting parents Mm -hmm. uh, know that you know kelly is a good name for boys and girls just that's true that is true just I did not see that coming. It doesn't seem like you, you could at also all. do Scott or Scotty. All right, let's just move along. <laughs> um, I have a couple of shout outs. Oh, yeah, all go right. for it. We are recording these a little early, so this is we're weird timed here because Kelly is about to go on a fantastic trip that we'll all be very jealous of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, details when you return. <laughs> I will. But both of these two here have had a birthday if you're listening to it now. Kelly's oh. birthday was on St. Patrick's Day. That's right. I'm going to mention that in a moment. And oh, Scott's fun. birthday is March 20th. So mm-hmm. First day of spring. They have that? both circled the sun one more time. Yep. yep. We are bringing the warm weather to you. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this, it will be nice and pleasant in Cherokee County because it is not today. It's 35 degrees outside yeah, on March on, the 19th. When we are recording this, it is a uh, yeah. it is a cold day. Cold AF. So happy birthday, guys. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. I am uh, three days older than Scott, right? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to get to that. We have two Pisces and a Libra here. If you're into, that's right. If you're into astrology, mm-hmm. you can tell us what that means for our dynamic. I don't know. You can anything check about the it. horoscope page in the Cherokee Post Herald every week and find out what that means. Well, you don't know what it means, like in relation to each other. Well, like, that's true. How, like unless you like get into it, and I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, don't know. I was going to ask much. that. Do you know if that's mm-hmm. even a thing that's supposed to? It may happen? be. I don't know. I'm sure. I, I'm sure it is. I'm sure somebody could tell us. Somebody could tell us, and somebody is firing off an email as we speak. Send I love it to it. Uh, True Crime on Easy Street at Gmail dot com. Yep. So we need the bad language disclaimer today because today we'll include five bullshits and two f bombs. Uh, Adam, all from and Scott. Two yeah. of those five bullshits have just been spoken by me, so now there are only three to go. <laughs> So please no angry emails about the language today. You have been warned. 
Yep. Speaking of warnings, yes. let's talk about Friday night. Okay, which Friday night are you Three things were happening simultaneously this past Friday night, St. Patrick's Day. Okay. It was St. Patrick's Day. It was Kelly's 14th, 29th birthday, and there was live band karaoke at Easy Street here in Center. Yeah, there was. It was an amazing evening. Shane and Charlie and Beetle and the guys bust their butts to do that once a month, so check the schedule and find out when the next live band karaoke is. You can stand up on the stage with a live band behind you and sing your karaoke song. This was happening on Friday night. It's... it's all, they do a great job. Fantastic. And so what I wanted to bring attention to is the fact that, Kelly, you and your husband, Kevin, both got up on stage and sang during live band karaoke. Yes. Kevin's song choice was uh, the Dr. Hook and the Medicine so, uh, Show song, uh, When You're in Love with a Beautiful Woman. Yes. He sang it to me for my birthday. Yeah. He started the show. It was awesome. He started it's the awesome. show. It was fantastic. But then later in the show, you got up on stage and uh-huh. sang Before He Cheats by Carrie Underwood. I so did. if there's anything going on no. in the Turner home that you want no. to discuss, let's get it out in the open now. No, no, no. It was just uh, Shane threw it out there. I, I didn't plan on singing that night. I just wanted to sit okay. and listen to everybody. And Shane and So Katie, maybe there was some, yeah, some subliminal message that you and Kevin were having uh, a conversation. Conversation the two of you were having between, between each other, each other. Yeah. on no. the stage that nobody else was aware nope. of. So yeah. I wanted no, to ask. No, nothing right. underneath that. It, right. But Shane and Katie informed me that I had to mm-hmm. sing. Yeah, since and, it's your birthday. Uh, I tell you what I've learned. I I'm not uh, singing in front of a live band is not my strength. I'm going. I thought you, you did pretty oh, good. I thought you nailed it. Thank you. Um, but I uh, it was it was awesome. And I yeah, the love, experience itself. I love being up there with everybody, but I also I absolutely love sitting there and watching everybody else do it. There was it's a steady stream fun. of people who, a lot of folks got up on that stage, and nobody sucked. No, it was so. You've much got to have fun. some level of confidence to get up in front of two hundred people with a live band behind you, yeah, and get it right the first time. And I commend everybody, and um, also my daughter sang. Oh, for yes, me. she did. She did dreams she, by. Fleetwood Mac. Mac. Yes, she did. Um, and I I was uh, so proud of her. Proud mama. So probably that next Friday night is coming up on the schedule by the time you listen to this, if it hasn't already passed. But they do it once a month. Every other week. Oh, I'm it's sorry. I thought it was once a month. It's every other mm-hmm. week. It's okay. Twice a month. So mm-hmm. just check the schedule if it's not this Friday night as you listen at home today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is next Friday night. Well, and you don't have to sing. So if you want to just come and watch and enjoy it's the very entertaining. You can do that. You're not going to be pressured to yeah. just no. sing. We just well, pressured Kelly. No, they just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, but it's a lot of fun. So Absolutely. I would encourage folks to just give it a try one week and one Friday night mm-hmm. and just see what you think. Well, there wasn't a, an empty seat in the house last Friday. No, we were having a good time. Great crowd. Mm-hmm. Everybody was out, out and having, having fun. All right, you guys ready to get started? Yes, ready to do I this am. part two. Tell, where did we leave off last uh, week? That's where I'm at. Oh, you're going. That's where okay. I start. Right, so I'll when we ahead. left you last week, we wrapped up part one of our multi-part series about the boys on the tracks. We had just begun to shift through a heaping pile of bullshit mm. that mm. had been 30? plopped down in the middle of the investigation into why there were two dead teenage boys lying scattered along the railroad tracks in Saline County, Arkansas. Had a lot to do with... Uh, our discussion on Fami Malik. Right too. here. The man with his hands on that shovel load of bovine dung was Fami Malik. Fami Malik. Uh, doctor Fami. in parentheses. I am not going or to like call him quotes. doctor again for the rest of this show because I don't think he's earned that distinction or that title. No. Listeners will soon find out why if they haven't already been convinced. Ugh. Weak. 
in both his grasp of the English language and apparently basic forensic skills. Oh, yes. Malik had ruled after his autopsy of the bodies of the two boys that they had died after they failed to wake up as a train approached as they lay on the railroad tracks in the early morning hours of Sunday, August the 23rd, 1987. First of all, nobody lays down on the railroad tracks. It's not comfortable. It's wood and steel and gravel. Nobody would do that. No. Malik said the boys were in a deep state of unconsciousness. Due to the fact that they had smoked 20 marijuana cigarettes, he called it THC intoxication. Mm. Which it turns out is not a thing. <laughs> yes. But even if it were a thing, Malik could not have determined that fact accurately because he had not tested the boy's blood as he told everyone that he had. So straight out of the box, we already know that the Arkansas State Medical Examiner is a bullshit artist, mm-hmm. which is also known as a liar. And I can't decide if he's just a complete moron or just that big of a blatant liar. Yeah. Yeah. As we mentioned last week when we told you about just a couple of other Malik findings, uh, autops- autopsy results, this man seems like an idiot on, on the surface. Yeah. Remember, among Malik's greatest hits, though more accurately they were misses, mm-hmm. uh, we had the guy with his head off. That Malik claimed had died from a stomach ulcer. Yes. And uh, can I elaborate on that just a little bit? Certainly. Unless it's going to make me vomit. uh, Well, it might. Um, So he had claimed that the guy passed away of a stomach ulcer. Uh And then while the man lay dying in his house or dead from the stomach ulcer, the dog. The family dog. The family dog chewed his head off. Complete head. Ate it. Bones, skull, and all. Mm. Everything. Yep. Uh-uh. Because he claimed that in the dog's vomit, there were human tissue. That's right. Okay. Now, first of all, it was a pretty clean cut. Mm-hmm. So, for a dog to chew. Not like a chewing, more like a slicing. It, yeah. So, for the dog to chew a head off at the neck in a straight line and for it to be clean and to eat everything. Yeah. Um, they later found that man's head. In a garbage can. Uh, yeah. Where it had been cut off, which was um, probably. Now, I'm not a doctor. Uh-huh. Probably why he died. I'm, that sounds like a traumatic event. Did we get any updated results or anything? Or they just were like, oh, weird. That's just in the pile. Along with that so, pile yeah. is the other guy with the five gunshot wounds to his chest, who, according to Malik, had committed suicide. As you do. You can't fucking make this up. No, because you would... One to go. You would go through with a shotgun and four times just is not going to do it. You got to go that fifth time. The, that one last time. Just, just not gonna to be certain. It. The fact that people expect us to buy this is utterly insulting. It's getting ridiculous. And it's going to get ridiculouser and ridiculouser as we go. All right. So, Fami Malik was apparently unqualified to be in charge of the state medical examiner's office. Yeah, newsflash. And had a loose grasp of the truth on at least what is now three documented occasions. Mm -hmm. But trust me, there are many more. Do your own research. Figure this out for yourself. Malik had one job, and he was terrible at it. That's my interpretation of events. You make up your own mind. But he stayed employed for the state of Arkansas. Oh, yeah. For decades. Decades. And if you're out there listening, uh, Malik family, apologies. But apparently, according to most people, 
Uncle Fami was a fuck up. I mean, I'm sorry. You just need the truth hurts. I apologize to our listeners who are young or delicate or both, but I really can't think of a better way to state that opinion of mine. No, yeah, there's no, no. Uh-huh. And now we are past all of the swearing. Okay, here we go. Unless the only other explanation would be perhaps if Malik was willingly covering up someone else's criminal activity, maybe we will get to that story in due time. That theory. Yeah. And we're going to get there. Okay. And because I'll yeah. share my opinion on that. Yes, then. absolutely. I'll wait. So presented with this seemingly asinine attempt to explain away why two young, healthy teenage boys have been run over by a train in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night because of being stoned out of their minds, literally. The mother of 17-year-old victim Kevin Ives decided to call bullshit. Sorry, I forgot I had one more. (laughs) You know what? Good for her. Yes. Yes, good for her. Seriously. She wanted a second opinion. So the first thing that she had to do was that she had to fight through the court system and get Malik to release samples of the boy's remains to another crime lab, which he resisted, but she initially got that done and got a second opinion. It's crazy that you can't get your son's remains without a court order like that. A very disagreeable fellow, this guy. That guy, the second guy, who was a pathologist from Tennessee, initially agreed with Fami Malik. But when pressed about why his results showed that he had tested the blood of the both boys, when it had already been established that Malik had initially claimed the same thing before being called out by Linda Ives because he had not tested any blood, the pathologist from Tennessee admitted that he had simply rubber-stamped Malik's findings and mailed them back. No, he's just like he's a qualified examiner. If he yeah, says it's, so good, it's, it's good, it's yeah. good. Why did he do that? Well, it, either it was a neglectful act uh, that com- that consisted of a professional courtesy among another pathologist. He didn't want to call him out and say that he was an idiot. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Or was it some plot more sinister? I think it's the second option, and everybody... I've already made up my mind. I think you'll probably agree with me once you hear the rest of this. But you listeners out there, hold off, and you make up your own mind as we go along. We don't want to to, uh, poison the well just yet. Yeah, well. Well, I don't know what's Somebody else is going to do that for us. Yeah. Several somebodies. So remember from last week that initially, Linda Ives had been relieved to find out that the incompetent investigation of the local sheriff's department was going to be questioned by the Arkansas State Police. And now try to imagine Linda's frustration as it began to become clear to her that the state law enforcement agency was no more interested in getting to the facts than the crack squad of one bullet Barney's in Saline County had been. I'm not going to explain that reference. Either you get it or you don't. I'm moving on. (laughs) Recall also that Linda Ives called a press conference in February of 1988, six months after the incident on the tracks, to try and get some help from the media to call attention to Malik's by now seemingly obvious incompetence. The day after she pointed her angry finger at Fami Malik on live television, Linda got a call from a deputy district attorney named Richard Garrett. Store that name in a safe place. Okay. Garrett told Linda that he had no idea that the families of the dead boys had not been satisfied with the Saline County Sheriff's Department's investigation. He wanted to help find out what happened to those boys just as much as she did, he said. So Linda Ives was briefly relieved that someone was willing to take her side until she was satisfied that she knew what had happened to her son. A couple of toxicologists from other states had already looked over Malik's findings and found them to be, as one of them put it, and darn it, this is a direct quote from Mara Leverett's 1999 book titled The Boys on the Tracks, but I've run out of swear words. Let's just say that he called it total BS. That's a direct quote in the book. 
The other toxicologist called Malik's findings bizarre and added, quote, I don't know who would agree with that. <laughs> These are actual doctors. Yes. When Linda told when Linda told Deputy DA Richard Garrett about all of the professional doubters whose attention Malik was suddenly drawing with his ridiculous notions, Garrett offered to hold a rare prosecutor's hearing. It's a legal procedure similar to a grand jury, but with one exception. Unlike a closed-door grand jury proceeding, a prosecutor's hearing is open to the public. And the idea of shining a little light into the darkness that permeated the sheriff's office and the space between Fami Malik's ears. (laughs) Why, of course, that was music to the ears of Linda Ives. At her meeting with Deputy DA Garrett in the days soon after the press conference, she was introduced to Garrett's friend and law partner, Dan Harmon. Asterisk. The pair seemed pretty sharp initially to Linda, despite their casual air, and so Linda put all of her eggs in Dan Harmon's basket and hoped for the best. Yeah. You slapped yourself on the forehead. Everybody will before this is over. I know. Now, Harmon, Dan Harmon, unlike Garrett, did not hold public office. Garrett explained, uh, I'm sorry, Garrett explained to Linda that he would call the prosecutor's hearing and then he would appoint Harmon to assist him since Harmon had aggressively led a grand jury investigation a few years earlier that had resulted in several high-profile prosecutions regarding a scandal at the local hospital in Saline County. So everybody had confidence in Dan Harmon's ability to get some answers. Good Lord. I mean, what's going on in this county? He had emerged as a hero. He was the local high school football hero. He was an, an attorney. He led the grand jury investigation. All kinds of crazy stuff at the hospital. I'm not even going into that. Look it up, but it was nuts. Wow, just, I mean, just scandal Drugs scandal and, in this area. and people uh, videotaped having sex with each other in the hospital. It's not, I'm not even going there. Are we back Skipping in, ahead of that rabbit hole. Are we back in Colleton County, South Carolina? It sounds like it. Like, oh. <laughs> so uh, so Don, uh, Dan Harmon and, and uh, Garrett and Linda, they all sat down and they compiled a list of 33 witnesses that they wanted to call to the... Uh, to testify at the prosecutor's hearing, including, of course, our good friend Fami Malik. Yeah. The hearing officially convened on February the 18th, 1988. Two days earlier, Harmon had convinced Linda to lay off of her public lambasting of Sheriff James Steed, who she was not a big fan of because he had screwed up the investigation to begin with. Mm-hmm. And she grudgingly agreed eventually, but it took her some convincing Mm-hmm. to decide to lay off this guy because she did not like Sheriff Steed at all. Well, and he's an elected official. So, yes, so. and he's up for re-election yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. So he wants her to stop talking bad about him so he can get re-elected. Convenient. If you'll leave me alone, we'll reopen the investigation. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I want the investigation open. This all is right, what I have fine. to do. This is how this works. Yeah. So, like I said, in exchange, uh, Steed agreed to reopen the investigation, calling the Arkansas State Police for assistance. And Linda thought, well, this is all six months too late. But she made a promise to her son to find out what happened. So this is how she has to go about it. Mm-hmm. For three days, Garrett and Harmon called witnesses to the prosecutor's hearing. Seated before them all on the bench was Judge John Cole. I don't want to inundate everybody with a bunch of names, so I've skipped through a bunch of these names. But we need to know Garrett and Harmon and Cole. Gotcha. These are the pertinent people in this story. Mm-hmm. The most pertinent. So during the course of the testimony, it was revealed that on the night before the deaths on the tracks, law enforcement had received a call 
that a suspicious person had been spotted in the area of the railroad tracks where Kevin and Don were killed the next night. The man had been waving a handgun, said the report. Just something to investigate, maybe related, maybe not. But nobody had ever fiddled with it. Mm-hmm. This was just one of another glaring oversight so, so by someone the investigators. Made this report and they didn't even go check on it. Didn't out? check on it because remember, at the scene that night, they're treating it as a traffic fatality. This was a horrible accident. Throw everything in bags. Let's get back to the donut shop. Screw this. Yeah. It was also discovered that the inexperienced Saline County deputies had allowed a train on the parallel track beside the northbound Union Pacific to pass through the crime scene area. During the middle of the investigation, possibly disturbing evidence that Sunday morning. Oh, I'm absolutely sure that it did. Yeah. And then finally, though, one good thing, at least one good thing came from this uh, hearing. It was put on the record by one of the responding EMTs that the purplish color of the blood and the pale color of the bodies had indicated to his experienced eye that the boys had been dead for some time before being run over by the train. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Deputy... DA Richard Garrett called Fami Malik to the witness stand. So he showed up because my guess was going to be he wasn't even going to come. Oh, yeah, he was sick that day or had something else going on, but he now, showed up. He showed up, and that's our first cliffhanger, and we will tell you what he said right after these words from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you in part by A&W Outdoor Services, located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. It's almost time to tidy up the deck, clean the gutters, and spruce up the yard and landscaping around your home, lake house, or creekside cabin. And who better to do that for you than the professional crew at A&W Outdoor Services? Call 256-706-7964 and let Alan and his crew do all the hard work for you so you can spend your time this summer enjoying your piece of Cherokee County and clean, carefree comfort. Call Alan today for a free estimate or to get on the A&W Spring Schedule before it's full. That's A&W Outdoor Services at 256-706-7964. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. Wet a hook in beautiful Weiss Lake. Swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club. Climb to the best view around at Cherokee Rock Village. Hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve. Take a days-long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park. And much, much more. The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds, and they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are, and if you already live right here in lovely Cherokee County, plan your summer 2023 staycation with the Chamber by visiting Cherokee-Chamber.org. We're proud to have another show sponsor, Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill. Faraway is a small, family-owned business with small-town values located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. But they can do big things for you. Call Faraway for anything you want done to a tree, or a lot of them. You want your trees removed? Call Faraway. You want your trees cut up and milled into lumber or ground into mulch? Call Faraway at 256-393-5393. Faraway is licensed and insured and can handle any job, big or small, from tree trimming to stump grinding and everything in between. So call Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill today at 256-393-5398. Welcome back. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Back to you, Scott. Okay, so we're in the courtroom at the, in John Judge John Cole's courtroom. Yes. At that prosecutor's hearing. Fami Malik has just been called to the witness stand. Yep. As the Arkansas State Medical Examiner turned to sit in his chair at the witness stand, the awkward-looking Egyptian bowed dramatically 
to the Ives and Henry families who were all seated in the courtroom. He bowed to them? Before Garrett could even, the assistant district attorney, before Garrett could even address him, Malik blurted out as best as he could in his broken English, and I'm not making fun of anybody from Egypt, but his English was very broken. Okay. That he forgave the families for, quote, everything they have done. Is he, is he Jesus? Nobody understands most of what comes out of this guy's <laughs> mouth. Jesus. He's say, Just he's an saying, example. I mean, does he exalt himself to the point of like. He, you know, they were, they were giving him down the road in the press conference. And so that's his way of saying, I guess I, I don't hold that against you. I'm just here to do my job. I don't know. Nobody knows what this guy's talking about. And it could also be just to, just to, it, Lord knows I don't want to give Fami more on Malik any credit. Yeah, please. But it could also be something that's more traditional in his Perhaps. As a way sure. of speaking or the same. Yeah, clean slate. I don't know. Could have been. I don't either. So Malik then pointed to his thick briefcase, which he had brought with him, and said that it contained autopsy photos of the boys' bodies that he said would explain everything, like he did before when Linda and her husband and okay. Don Henry's father had the meeting with him in the office in Little Rock. Because I would He love- wants to wave these autopsy photos around again. I mean, what? Yeah. that is not, um, uh-uh. you know... Whatever. I know. Well, everybody agrees that's ridiculous. Yes. And, and well, Garrett said terrible. the same thing. He told Malik, sorry, you're going to have to testify without those. Malik refused. And so Judge Cole called a recess. Garrett goes to the phone, calls the state attorney general who says, I'm not going to force Dr. Malik. I said I wasn't going to call him doctor again, and I did. I'm not going to force Fami Malik to testify without what he says he needs to reveal his evidence. And so. So how is this evidence? I. Hang on. Okay. So the parents, the, the families get up and leave the courtroom. Okay. They don't want to see they this. No, they don't. Because they've already been intimidated by this effort once in his office, and they smell the same rat again. So that's, they get out. That's, that's cruel. They that leave is. the courtroom, and Malik starts waving his autopsy photos around for everyone else to see. And when Garrett asked him what caused the deaths of the boys, Malik reiterated his previous position that it had all been that it had been an accident brought about by the ravages of marijuana intoxication. But no, he was finally forced to admit that evidence was not anywhere visible in the autopsy photographs. That's, that's my point. Then why are you waving them around? Yeah. We will never know, I guess. But before he left the stand, Malik made a promise that he would eventually break. Spoiler alert. He said he would quit his job if it were ever proven that the boys had died before being hit by the train. I'm going to guess he didn't quit his job. When asked by Deputy D.A. Garrett if it was even possible that he could have missed something in the autopsies of the boys that would point to homicide or some other cause of death, Malik said, quote, maybe other person would miss it, but not me. Maybe other person would miss it. Yes. At the conclusion of the three-day hearing, uh, Deputy D.A. Richard Garrett issued an official report that overturned Malik's ruling the manner of the boys' deaths was changed from accidental to undetermined. It would eventually be changed to homicide, but that's the first step that Linda Ives and the families want. They've got it. Rem- accidental's off the death certificate. Now it's undetermined. Eventually it will be ruled homic- possible, probable homicide. Mm-hmm. But it's a process. It's a step. Now, to no one's surprise, of course, Malik did not uh, tender his resignation, but at least the media was digging into Malik's hiring yes. as the state medical examiner in 1978 
by then Governor Bill Clinton. And I'm not going to, we'll get into that next week because that's a whole other rabbit hole that we talked about off the air a second ago. But we're going to talk about that, but next week. So the hiring process itself was suspect about Malik. Uh, His employment was somewhat questionable, legally speaking. Did he have the qualifications to do the job? Who was his boss? Okay. Who was in charge of him? Who had the power to run his ass out of town if need be? And why are these people just willing to just go ahead and back him? Rubber stamp things he says. The the state attorney general is not going to make him testify without... A lot of important people are taking this guy's side, despite what appears to be in public and to anybody with common sense, plenty of reasons to let him go and maybe get somebody new in that knows what they're doing. And that's a red flag. Yes. Talk about smelling a rat. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the state's newspapers have begun screaming this. Malik is incompetent. What's he doing? But all this time, the governor's office and other state officials, like we were just talking about, are adamantly defending him. It defied common sense to most of the people in Arkansas, but it was happening. And it continued to happen. While all of this was blowing up in the media, Linda Ives was consulting with experts on the use of marijuana. She wanted to learn everything she could about the possibility that that was a cause of their death. She hired a private investigator. She even consulted a psychic, which at the time was a popular investigative technique with weird cases. Back in the 70s and 80s, people did that. Yeah. By that point, the Ives family and the Henry family had begun to diverge a little bit in their quest to find out what had happened to their sons. Curtis and his wife, uh, Don Henry's stepmother, they wanted to let Garrett and Harmon handle everything. They wanted to step away, get on with their lives, and let them, they trusted them to get to the bottom of it. And Linda Ives trusted Garrett and Harmon as well, but she didn't want to just let go of all of the different threads that she had compiled and see where they led. She wanted to keep her own investigation going, so to speak. So that ended ended up being a serious wedge between the two families Mm -hmm. over time. For Linda, the next step for her was to get a court order to have the boys' bodies exhumed so that another autopsy could be performed. Her petition was granted by Judge Cole reluctantly, according to uh, author Mara Leverett. But it was granted, and so while their classmates were making preparations to attend the junior-senior prom in March of 1988, Kevin's and Don's coffins were lifted out of the ground by cranes and their bodies were autopsied again. That's heartbreaking. Garrett hired the chief medical examiner of Metropolitan Atlanta, Dr. Joseph Burton, to conduct autopsies on the boys' remains. Unsurprisingly, uh, Malik refused to meet with Dr. Burton to discuss his findings. Yeah. Uh, After he finished his examination, Dr. Burton told Deputy DA Richard Garrett that the boys probably smoked a joint or two that night, but certainly had not smoked 20 and that THC intoxication was not a thing. That's out the window now, that whole theory. At that point, Garrett asked Judge Cole to appoint his law partner, the aforementioned Dan Harmon, to head a grand jury that would try to find out what had really happened to the boys on the tracks that night. That grand jury was sworn in on April the 28th, 1988, on the day that Kevin Ives would have turned 18 years old. Plot twist! Unbeknownst to anyone, except a few people in the U.S. Attorney's Office, a few state police investigators, and a handful of narcotics investigators in neighboring Pulaski County, Arkansas, Dan Harmon himself was the subject of a federal drug investigation. Uh uh Great. That information would not make its way to the front page of every newspaper in the state of Arkansas for two years. It was December of 1990 
when that happened. We will tell that story in due time. Okay. In the meantime, Judge Cole had sworn in a grand jury of six women and ten men to try and find out what happened to the boys. Now, what date was this grand jury sworn? April the twenty eighth, nineteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight, and then the the back in, on into nineteen nineties when the Dan Harmon. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right, it's two years. It's it's over two years you, but before. Right now, no one knows this about correct Dan Harmon. That's right. Okay. Okay. Um, he, uh, Judge Cole swore in the uh, six women and ten men. So those 16 grand jurors had the power to subpoena and question witnesses and request indictments for criminal activity. The first witness called by the grand jury was Fahmy Malik. I was going to say, mm, of course, Fahmy Malik. Who Linda found out later because, remember, grand jury testimony is secret. Yeah. So it was months before some of this testimony leaked yeah. to the media. That's when Linda found out that the first thing Fami Malik did was lie to the grand jury. What did he say? What did he lie to? He lied about, remember I told you guys in the first episode that one of the family members found one of the boy's feet on the tracks? Uh Yes. Fami Malik told the grand jury that he looked at that foot, that he... It was part of his investigation, part of his autopsy. And in fact, he did not have the Linda foot. knew that was a lie because as soon as the foot was found, it was turned over to the sheriff's department. The sheriff's department called the state police. They said, we're already finished with the autopsies. Send it straight to the mausoleum or the, uh, uh, the funeral home where uh-huh. your boys are being prepared for burial. So he never looked at Never that. saw it. Yeah. And so she knew months later when she read that, that that was a bald-faced lie. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there were never any consequences from Alec for that no, lie, of course. No. And and I, I mean, think- he's coated in Teflon. This guy is coated in Teflon. He, nothing sticks to this guy. I am 100% sure I know why. It is perhaps a skill that he learned from the governor of Arkansas at the time, Bill Clinton. Yes. Some good news. The autopsy reports submitted to the grand jury by Dr. Burton of Atlanta had resulted in the grand jury issuing a preliminary report which stated that the deaths of Kevin Ives and Don Henry had not been accidents. But here's where we change it from undetermined to probable homicides. Okay. So we get that official ruling from the grand jury. The next day, it was announced that the Arkansas State Police had formally, finally, to hear Linda Ives say it in her head, I'm sure, joined the investigation. And then suddenly, the grand jury investigation seemed to swing its main focus away from the boys on the tracks and into the local drug trade in and around Saline County. What? Okay. After a few weeks, witnesses who had testified before the grand jury had begun to be charged with drug-related crimes and thrown in jail by Dan Harmon. One revelation about Kevin and Don that did come to light, though, in the middle of all this, was testimony from one witness who said that he saw two teenage boys being beaten up by a pair of sheriff's deputies on the night of the incident at the railroad tracks. Here we go. This at a local convenience store. Yeah, here we, let's peel this onion. With that unsubstantiated but still shocking revelation, Herman began calling members of the Pulaski County Narcotics Task Force to testify before this grand jury. Mm -hmm. But don't get excited. Oh, I'm not. Now remember that these are the guys who know that Herman is the subject of a federal drug investigation. Mm -hmm. Specifically, They have been hearing from their own drug informants that Dan Harmon was buying and selling drugs and providing his drug dealers with protection from prosecution. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into that a little bit further along. Okay. At the time, though, the suspicion from the officers in Pulaski County 
was that Harmon was calling their task force members to testify so that he could find out how much they knew about his drug operation. Harmon had also started calling guys before the grand jury, and it had the eventual effect, when it came out months later, of making them possible suspects in the disappearance of the boys. So it seemed again that Harmon was doing this on purpose to cast aspersions on the people who may come back and make his life problematic later yeah. because of his drug dealing. Definitely a conflict of interest. Yes. Where is Garrett in all of this? He's just sitting there. He's he's kind of disheveled. He never uh, cinches up his tie knot. He's overweight. His shirt's always untucked on one side. Hair's over here. Mustache is over there. This guy's barely holding it together. Garrett? Yes. Why? Hey, that's just his natural demeanor. He's just not generally together. Good Lord. Watch him on the Unsolved Mysteries episode. He's interviewed. You will see what I mean. Oh, my Lord. I'm still not this, over at mustaches over here. This, <laughs> and he pointed to like the side <laughs> of his face. They're where his ear is. I mean, I'm, this poor woman. This poor woman. I know. Publicly in conversations with reporters as he left the courthouse, Dan Harmon was hinting that he suspected the deaths of the boys would eventually be discovered to be drug-related in some way. That's how he justified calling all of these narcotics officers and drug informants. What does this have to do with two boys dead on the tracks? I, trust me, I'm getting there is what he's telling everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. So he was purposely being vague, mm-hmm. but he had to offer up some sort of possibility about the drug connection, considering that's all the witnesses that he's calling at this point. And in the meantime, he's trying to figure out, do you know about Yes. Do you know? Do that's you know? the suspicion. Are we good? You so uh, Harmon tells one reporter, I think the grand jury will do a lot of good. And then cryptically, he added, in exposing drug trafficking, if not in solving a murder. <laughs> By now, it is September of 1988. And Judge Cole was growing impatient with Harmon and his grand jury. I am too. Which did not <laughs> seem to be focused very much on the murder or the deaths we're of the two here, boys. We're here about... We're here about Kevin Ives and Don Henry. Two boys who were murdered, and we've got somebody saying that they witnessed them being beaten by two police officers. That's right. From Saline County, right? Uh, uh, technically, it was Pulaski County, but Pulaski. that's an adjacent county. And okay, from Pulaski and, yeah, County. It's, but it's the county next door, and they're all in the same judicial district. They're all in the 7th Judicial District in that part of Arkansas, just like we're in the 9th District here. Right, which multiple would be counties. like Cherokee County and DeKalb County right. yes. to give So Pulaski County, Saline County, and I think in Arkansas there's, one, there's a third county, mm-hmm. and, so they're and they're in a district. Okay. Yeah. All right, I got you. So... When the judge, when Judge Cole starts to grow impatient about what's going on, uh, Dan Harmon publicized. He decided to publicize Dr. Burton from Atlanta's complete autopsy findings. Good. And so, to summarize, it seemed that the shirt that had been found some distance from the boys had a pretty obvious tear on the back. That wasn't a tear at all. It was a stab wound. He had it looked at under a microscope, and it wasn't torn. It was cut. Mm-hmm. He was able to determine. Well, I'm sure that the boys did that to themselves. Well, and remember that Don Henry was seen lying shirtless on the tracks by the guys in the by the railway oh. crew in the seconds before they passed over the boys. Because that's what you do. You take your shirt off and you lay on the train tracks. Yeah. You get high, you take, take your shirt, shirt off, and you lay down on the train right. tracks. Dr. Burton also matched the area of the shirt that contained the slit to a corresponding wound on the back of Don Henry's torso, which, remember, was the one piece of the boys that had been found relatively intact. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Burton also uh, said that an injury on Kevin's left cheek, the other boy, Kevin, looked not like an injury he would have received from the train, 
but from being struck in the face by a blunt object, possibly the butt of a rifle. Mm-hmm. Remember that they had a rifle that night. Mm-hmm. Yes. And remember uh, that they saw that. The, the train crew saw that rifle on the ground and it was they never recovered. It. Yep, they saw that. Never admitted it to evidence. Also, there was a buildup of congestion in the lungs of the boys that Dr. Burton said suggested that the boys had been either unconscious or dead long before being run over by the train. In other words, they'd been on their backs for a while and fluid had started to settle. It it settled. So here's some actual forensic evidence to tell us the time of death. Give us some sort of window. Yeah. It seems pretty... I mean, not simple, I won't say, but easy to come by if you just got to really looking at what we've got in front of us. If you're a doctor and you're not a moron. Yes. You're beginning to understand the frustration level that Linda Ives I just, has I mean, experienced. I know that Miss Linda is no, no longer with us. Yes, She's June, June of away. 2021, she passed away. But I'm my heart just, I can't even imagine what it felt like to be in this woman's shoes. For the last 34 years of her life, she she dealt with this frustration every day. That's why I, I said last episode, I'm going to say it this one, I'll probably say it the next episode, Linda Ives is the hero of this story. Absolutely she is. For as big of a, of a moron, and we've got morons, we've got cheats, we've got swindlers, crooks. we've got liars, crooks, we do have a hero, and yes. it is Linda. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so suddenly, all right, let's think about this. The the tarp over the boys makes sense, right? Yes. Somebody had tried to cover the boys. In this scenario, somebody had tried, somebody had killed the boys, placed them on the tracks, tried to cover them with the tarp so that the train crew couldn't see what they were passing over. And, and it's a it's a 60,000 ton train going 52 miles an hour. They're not going to stop for a tarp in the middle. But they saw the boys because mm-hmm. the tarp had blown off perhaps mm-hmm. and partially yeah. uncovered their bodies. Mm-hmm. Also, the purplish color of the blood now made sense, implying what was already suspected by everybody except Fami Malik, which was that the boys had been killed and then placed on the tracks. Mm-hmm. And of course, the unnerving stillness of the boys as the train approached them now also made sense. Yeah. They had been dead already as the train approached. And, I, and I'm just going to tell you, I knew that in about five minutes. Yes. Anybody with common sense reached that conclusion a long time ago, it seems. Mm -hmm. But here we are still talking about this. Absolutely. Of course, none of these revelations had the effect of changing the mind of Saline County Sheriff James Steed, who refused to release any funds from his drug investigation team to pay for the grand jury looking into the boys' deaths, even though it seemed like there might be a connection. He said he would not be the sugar daddy to the grand jury. He said that to a local newspaper reporter. Oh, my God. So instead of trying to find out who killed two boys, he wants to protect his drug money. Yeah. Yeah. How about do your job? Yeah. Your your actual job, not the job you have on the down low on the side. Confronted in his office by an irate Linda Ives after he made that statement. She's demanding to do everything that you can to find out what happened to my son and my son's friend. Sheriff Steed said within earshot of at least one local reporter, quote, lady, I don't care. That was in the paper the next day. Good. Did he get reelected? He did not. Good. <laughs> a little justice in this. But, but you know what? Yeah. I'm sure he made just as much money after he did not hmm. get reelected. Probably so. Now, if you're wondering, Fami Malik no did not resign as he had promised. In fact, on the day after Dr. Burton's findings were released, Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton and the state of Arkansas gave Malik a $14,000 raise. Thank you, Bill. That, despite a poll in the Arkansas Democrat newspaper in which 81% of readers who responded 
thought that Fahmy Malik should be fired immediately. But instead, he gets a raise. That's right. Mm-hmm. And if nobody can see me, but I also have my hand raised. Uh, I'm voting for that outcome as well at this point. A dead giveaway. Yeah. Another interesting revelation from the release of Dr. Burton's autopsy findings. There was a criminologist at the Arkansas State Crime Lab who, after he read all of this, said, you know what? I noticed the stab wound in the shirt, too, and the corresponding stab wound on the... No, he didn't notice it on the body. He noticed it on the shirt mm-hmm. because when he tried to find the, the remains to see if it matched up, the folks at the state crime lab said, sorry. And this was the next day after it happened. This was the Monday after the incident on Sunday on the tracks. They said, sorry, we've already sent the remains to the local cemetery, to the, to the funeral home. Just forget all about that. Don't worry about was it. Was there even an autopsy done? Well, Fahmy Malik says so, but who knows? Yeah, no. Lying. Perhaps not. He's a liar. And the, the criminologist is quoted in Mara Leverett's book as saying, until that moment, he had never before been told in his job to do anything other than get to the truth. Speed didn't matter. The truth mattered. But in this case, sorry, we got to get this out the door. Let it go. Speed was, was of the utmost importance. Yeah. In October of 1988, an episode of the NBC series Unsolved Mysteries with host Robert Stack. Oh, what a great show. What a great show. Love Robert. They aired a segment on the death of the two boys. It included a reenactment of the scenes at the tracks with a videotape shot from the cab of the locomotive as the train's headlight illuminated a pair of partially covered figures. So they're trying to recreate this for people watching on TV to give you a sense of what it looked like. Mm-hmm. I watched that episode this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember that show from college. Like it was, yeah. I think it was Wednesday nights. I think so too. Yeah. And then they moved it to Friday and the ratings dropped. And, but it's been off and on for years. Every time a new TV network focuses on true crime, they'll fire these things back up and pull them out of, uh, pull them out of mothballs and put them back on TV again. And you know what? Netflix is actually. They've got a new series. Released. They've done two seasons yeah, of it. That's right. Uh, and there's some good ones there. Really good. Some really good ones there. Yeah. Uh, that same episode of Unsolved Mysteries that had the story about the boys on the tracks, I noticed, also featured the D.B. Cooper case. How about that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Which we covered uh, last November. Mm-hmm. Season 2, episode 47. Look it up. During the segment, Deputy AG Richard Garrett asked his personal views about what happened that night. And remember, this guy with hair going one way and the mustache going in the other. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. He said into the camera that he believed the boys probably saw something they shouldn't have, something to do with drugs, he specified, and were killed for it. Garrett went on to say that the case was so complex that it was difficult to speculate regarding any specific conclusion based on what they knew. He said the murderers, or murderer, plural or singular, mm-hmm. could be anyone from a, it could be a vagrant on a passing train who would never be seen again, or it could be somebody in local law enforcement. He said that on the television show. Pull it up on YouTube and watch it. Wow. Those are the words that came out of his mouth on NBC in primetime. What happened to him after that? I don't know, but he did say in that show that he started carrying a gun around with him because he was afraid for his life. Damn. What a bold man to say that on television. It was beginning to seem to everyone that after months of work, the Saline County Grand Jury had finally dug up some questions, although it was more questions than answers at yeah. this point about what had happened to Kevin and Don. But sometimes that happens when you're trying to actually do your job sure. and find the truth. Yeah. That's just part of it. Well, and for a lot of viewers there in Saline County, when they saw the episode that night, 
The segment about the boys on Unsolved Mysteries revealed a fact that few of them even knew. When Robert Stack said these words, Saline County and the Central Arkansas area are overrun at this time with drug trafficking, and it is drug trafficking at a high level that extends to other states and other counties. As Linda Ives watched that show that night in her living room, she experienced a WTF moment. Yeah, I bet. High-level drug trafficking, other counties and states, possible law enforcement involvement, WTF indeed. And, and it probably hit her at that moment. This is why I've been having so much difficulty. Starting to click. Yes. And so now we begin to wind down episode two. Although there is a part of me that is beginning to believe that episode three alone is not going to be enough to finish this story. We may need to talk about that after we get off the air. This may be a four-part series. It might be. And I'm going to tell you something. We could have done an entire season on this. Yeah, we really could have. Here's where we stand right now. Local attorney-turned-prosecutor Dan Harmon has the grand jury created to find out who killed Kevin and Don, instead investigating drugs and police officers for some reason. We're still not 100% clear on that. Well, we are, but they're not back in 1988. Yeah. And this is all while producing practically no one who had any information about what had happened to the boys. Right. Despite the uproar in the press, legislators and sheriffs across Arkansas continued to rush to the defense of Fahmy Malik. And now more and more drugs are being mentioned in connection to the case of the boys on the tracks. Mm -hmm. What could it all possibly mean? Linda Ives wondered this every night when she went to bed. Now, before we cliffhang you. We have one bit of good news, a mini palate cleanser, so to speak. All right. And you brought this up earlier. Okay. Sheriff James Steed, who from the very beginning had been indifferent at best and incompetent at worst regarding what had happened to the boys, was up for re-election the month after that episode of Unsolved Mysteries aired on television. Oh, wow. The five-term Democrat in what at the time was a very Democratic state of Arkansas Yes. Lost his bid for a sixth term in a landslide, 58% to 42%, to a 31-year-old opponent who was a former deputy and a Republican. All right. So that chafed in Democratic-heavy Arkansas Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. So the tarring and feathering by the local electorate in Saline County of Sheriff James Steed made statewide news. Mm -hmm. And now comes our cliffhanger. Two days after that election, on November the 10th, 1998, Dan Harmon rushed into Linda's office at her job at the local credit union and slammed shut the door. Harmon told her that a man named Keith McCaskill had been found murdered in his driveway earlier that morning. I hear you saying it, and so did Linda Ives that morning. Who the hell is Keith McCaskill? Keith McCaskill was the burly, bare-knuckled bartender at one of the watering holes down at the county line. Saline County was dry. And he knew just about everything that happened in and around Saline County, good or bad. Mm -hmm. He was a drug user, probably a drug dealer as well. But what he definitely was, was an informant for Dan Harmon and his grand jury. According to Harmon, McCaskill had agreed to discreetly pass along anything he happened to hear during his bar shifts at the Wagon Wheel Lounge, of course, about what might have happened that night on the tracks with the boys. 
I mean, guys, so far this whole story is straight out of central casting. So uh, here's my question. What did uh, Fami Malik say Keith died of? You'll have to come back next week to hear that part. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. Um, Back to our recently deceased bartender. The crime scene evidence indicated that the six foot two, 205 pound McCaskill, who was known to clear a room if it ever needed to be cleared while he was working behind the bar, he was the bartender and the bouncer at the wagon wheel. He must have been attacked by multiple people because his throat had been slit wide open and his arms, stomach, and back were covered in what appeared to be over 100 defensive stab wounds. There was blood smeared all over the floors and walls around his body. McCaskill had definitely gone down fighting. There was one other thing about the murder scene. McCaskill's dead body had been wrapped in a tarp. After he shared that piece of information, Dan Harmon looked at Linda in the eyes and said, with fright in them, apparently, quote, they are sending a message to us all, so we will all connect it to the boys and back off. You guys remember last week when I promised that we would talk about uh, South American drug dealers and Colonel North and two U.S. presidents and a bunch of dead grand jury witnesses? Oh, yeah. Next week. Come back and see us. And more Fami. <laughs> more Fami, unfortunately. Because he's the gift that keeps on giving. Kind of like herpes. Well, and unlike Fami oh, Malik. Glitter. <laughs> and glitter. Herpes and glitter. Unlike Fami Malik, I was not lying when those words came out of my mouth. We will cover all of that that I promised, that I teased again uh, as soon as we can, either in the next final part or in the next two parts we don't know we'll figure that out make sure and say something nice about us on social media somewhere or you are not our friends anymore (laughs) agreed good night everybody